Thanks for checking out the Renew Life Church podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that today's message encourages you. Why don't we pray and then we're going to jump in this morning. Lord, we just thank you for being here. Thank you that, for the privilege, God, that, that we have the opportunity to worship you, that we can come to you, we can come boldly to your throne, we can worship you, we can praise you that we live in a country with, with freedom to do that. So Lord, we just thank you that we can continually press into your presence and receive from you like sons and daughters. And we just thank you that you're an amazing father. So it's in your name, pray. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John 8, John chapter 8. We're going to read the story known as the woman caught in adultery. It's John 8, verse 1 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, we'll read that in just a second. You can read along with us, or we'll throw it up. I think we'll throw it up, yeah, on the screen. You can read along with us there as well. I didn't say this, but for those of you who are new, my name's Josh. I'm the executive pastor here, so we just want to welcome you. If it is your first time, thank you so much for worshiping with us. We hope you enjoy the rest of the service. So turn to John 8, and I just want to give you a little bit of a preface, a little backstory before we jump in and read this. So John chapter 8, as I mentioned, is verse 1 through 11 is a passage known as a woman caught in adultery. But you can see uh, kind of what has preceded this story and what leads up to it. You can start in John chapter 2, where Jesus turns, we read the story where Jesus turns water into wine at the wedding of Cana. So, and all the winos said, just kidding, just kidding, don't. We're in church, we're in church. I think it's like in church, wine's acceptable, but people are like, I don't know about beer. What do you think? I'm just going to avoid it all today, okay? So Jesus turns water into wine at the wedding at Cana. In John 4, Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And you know, Jews weren't even supposed to associate with Samaritans. But Jesus encounters her, reveals things about her life that no one else does know or should know. And then he ministers to her to the point where she realizes he's the Messiah and he is the Christ. It's so extreme, she runs off and goes, tell, and goes to tell everybody in her town that she just met the Messiah. So he said, if you remember this story, she's coming to get water from the well, and Jesus says, I have water. He says, I have rivers of living water, and the water that I have, you'll drink of it, and you'll never thirst again. And he encounters her in this radical way, as I just said, to the point where she runs off to everybody in her town and tells everybody that she just met the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ. So her life was transformed in a moment. The same chapter, John 4, Jesus heals an official son just simply at his word. So an official has a son who has a fever and is dying. He has a terrible sickness and he chases after Jesus. He hears Jesus is traveling. He chases and hunts him down and tells him to pray for his son. He's like, Jesus, will you pray for my son? And Jesus basically gives him kind of one of those that kind of offends us at first. He's like, hey, calm down. Like, what? No, my son's dying. He's like, I got this. And he just says he'll be healed. And then they found out the next day that it was at the very hour Jesus said it, his fever broke. So this is what Jesus is doing. John 5, Jesus heals a man at the pool of Bethesda who was blind, lame, and paralyzed for 38 years. I feel like I could just read stories about Jesus and just share these facts and we could just all go home. It's just amazing. It's incredible. And in John 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish from a little boy. Have you ever thought what that little boy must have thought? Like, to be that little boy? 
It's incredible. Five loaves of bread and two fish, and he feeds over 5,000 people. Even scholars say it was actually way more than that because they didn't count the whole family. He feeds thousands and thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. The same chapter, John 6, we read the story where Jesus walks on water and rescues the disciples from a storm. So they're out on the boat fishing at the sea, and a storm just rushes in, and they're terrified, and Jesus shows up. How many of you think you might actually be more terrified of Jesus walking on water to your boat than the actual storm you were in? He walked on water and just showed up at their boat. Now they're freaking out again, probably. You know what it says? Within a moment, they're at the land. Have you ever thought about that? They literally just transported. Like, Jesus has transporting power, you guys. It's amazing. Just shows up, delivers them from the storm, and they're at land. In John 7, Jesus is teaching in the temple, and the Jews were marveled. The Bible says they were marveled at his teaching. So they were dumbfounded. They were shocked. They, they literally said, how in the world could a guy who isn't studied like we are talk like he's talking? See, I just proposed to you he studied in a different way. He did read the scriptures. He did read the passages that they had as well. But he also encountered God. He also focused on his presence and encounters and stories and this personal relationship where he could teach about him because he knew him in a way that they didn't know him. So he's teaching in the temple, and they're marveled at his teaching. They couldn't believe it. And so this is all backstory, and all this leads to the people at the time questioning, like the woman at the well, she found out, but this all led to them questioning if he was really the Savior, if he was the Messiah, if he was the chosen one, if he was God's son that was going to be sent to deliver the people. This is what all the people were questioning, and many people actually believed it already. Why? Because they saw what he did. They saw the fruit on his life, all these healings, all these miracles, so a lot of people who saw that didn't question, but the religious leaders, the Pharisees, did. And they were furious. And their, their, their one big thing was like, he's not from Nazareth. The scripture says the Savior's coming from Nazareth. Little did they know he actually was. He just moved away from it. So they're so focused. Can I just encourage you? There is this place in God where you can be so focused on scripture that you can miss the very presence of God. And I believe in Scripture tremendously, but the Scripture says about itself that it kills, but the Spirit brings life. The letter kills. If all you ever do is read the letter without Holy Spirit empowering you and, and without the true foundation of it being personal and relational, then you'll just get religious, right? So all this leads to people questioning if he's the Messiah and the Savior, if he's the Christ, and the religious leaders of the day were infuriated and outraged. They hated it. They hated the thought because it didn't line up with their perfect formula that they had from Scripture and their own interpretation of that. So what they did is they sent officials to arrest Jesus. <laughs> this is amazing. They sent officials to arrest him because he's a hypocrite, he's blasphemous, he's healing people, the 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 blank, the lot the like trying to figure out what the guy was because he had so many problems. They got the, at the pool of Bethesda, the blind and lame guy who's paralyzed for 38 years was healed on the Sabbath. And they're like, no, 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 you can't do that. Jesus is like, why not? 
He's like, you guys are so focused on the law, and you have no clue I came to fulfill it. I'm the fullness of the law, and I'm right in front of you. So how about you move on? So he heals the guy, and they're outraged. They send officials to arrest Jesus. You know what the officials said? <laughs> they couldn't arrest him. They're like, we've never heard anyone talk like he talks. And the Pharisees are like, are you serious? He got you too? Like we sent you to do one job, bro. You had one job. You can't even arrest Jesus because he's so amazing. This is the backstory, and this is what's going on. People are questioning and wondering, is he the Messiah? Is he the Savior? Is he Christ? And the Pharisees are like, no, no, no. And so you'll see why that's important. So read with me John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11 is where we're going to stick today and talk about it says, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So the whole group split up. They went home, and Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Ouch. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. How many of you would like to be left alone with Jesus? Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. There's so much you can pull from this, and I just want to encourage you with one thing before we go into this. This is literally just a tip for your own life, and it sounds so simple because it is, but, but I believe if you will apply this, it could change everything about reading the Bible. I, I think there's two questions you should ask yourself every time you read the Bible. Number one, what can I learn about myself? So what can I learn about myself from this story? And number two, what can I learn about God? What can I learn about myself, and what can I learn about God? And the, the reason that's important is because so many, read the, so many people read, I'll say it like this, so many people have trouble reading the Bible and so many people wrestle and are frustrated leading, reading the Bible because they're just trying to get information and trying to ascend intellectually. So it's great if you want to understand the history and the genealogy and all these facts and information, if, if that just supports encounter and relationship. If it supports it, it's legit. If it's the end, it's wrong. If it's a means to the end, it's okay. But the whole point is, this thing is personal. The Bible says about itself, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates the dividing soul and spirit. It's insanely personal. Now, every time you read this, God wants to talk to you about you and reveal himself to you. So why do we complicate it? Right? We just get religious and, and just look at the letter, but that's what God wants to do. So I want you to think about that today, those two trains of thought, and I'm going to give you three things we can learn about ourselves and three things we can learn about God. 
Number one, the first thing we can learn about ourselves is this. Sometimes I think we're good at relating to certain people in the Bible with certain issues. But the goal that God actually wants us to have is to relate to all people with all issues. See, this is what he's been speaking to me about because it's just true that we understand. Jesus said about himself that he's the way. You, You probably won't hear this at most churches, but I believe it's true. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. So he just said about himself, he's the way, not the destination. Then what did he say was the destination? The Father. So there's so many people that that pursue God their whole life, but never really go on the journey of understanding or grasping the Father's love. And the Father, where every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. So we teach that a lot, and we know that. But I just feel like the Lord does this. I share this with our team, that if you go to the Father, he'll push you back to Jesus. And if you go to Jesus, he'll push you to the Father. It's like this ping-pong relationship that we're always supposed to have with God, where we're going to the destination, and then the destination is sending, sending us back to the way. We find the way to get to the destination, and once we get there, it sends us back to the way. So this is what God does, and I think that, that that's what God's been challenging me with. It's like you read this story, the woman caught in adultery. I'm like, well, I'm a man. I'm not a woman. Uh, I've never committed adultery, but then I go, well, I, I mean, I've sinned. I've been caught, I've been caught with sin. I did drugs when I was younger. I even got caught doing drugs. I was like, okay, I can relate. I can throw that in there. I wasn't necessarily publicly shamed. But it, so I was processing like this. And, and just to encourage you, I think the Lord would do this. And I felt like the Lord said, yeah, just take it a step further back. I'm like, to the Pharisees? He's like, yeah, yeah, you can relate to them too. I'm like, no way. No, 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 no. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because here's the whole point. You have to be able to connect with God in a way where he can speak to you about your issues and about who you are apart from him. As long as you know who you are in him. If you don't know who you are in him, when he speaks to you who you are apart from him, it'll destroy you. But here's the point. Let's just (laughs) jump ahead of my notes. Let's just do this. Raise your hand if you're Jesus Christ. Okay. Here's what you need to understand. Then you all have issues. If you're not Jesus, please don't raise your hand. If you're not Jesus, you have issues and you have insecurities. It's a fact of life. Now, now I also understand that when you go on this journey of embracing God and you know when you accept Jesus into your heart, it's kind of like he accepts you into his. And you're supposed to be hidden in Christ and seated in heavenly places with Jesus. So you do go on this journey where like, for me, you know, I used to hate talking in front of people. I was terrified. I failed speech class. Then I found Jesus and really went on this journey of embracing Jesus. And I'm like, I'll preach to anybody, anytime. Like there's this confidence in me knowing who I am in him. But there's an extreme lack of confidence in me knowing who I am apart from him. It's really extreme. Do you know, this is kind of funny, but I, I literally think I'm 36 years old, and I think about losing the first race of my life as a 12-year-old almost on a weekly basis. I'm like, I hate Freddie Gabriel. Like, I lived in Waco. I grew up in Waco for years of my life. I'm like, I was always the fastest kid around. And then I stepped up to the line in front of the whole school, 
we were doing these races, and it was me and him. Everyone knew we were the fastest, and it was the last race. We stand up to the line, and I look over. He's literally 5'9", 240 pounds in the sixth grade, literally built like a fullback and actually could run like one. And I'm like, I might weigh 80 pounds. I'm like, I gave it everything I had, but I lost, and I'm still pissed about it. It's funny saying it because it's like, oh, that's funny. But it's like, no, I'm serious. I'm literally pissed about it 24 years later. I could have won, but I didn't. <laughs> I had this friend, this friend named BJ, too. Sixth grade was just a rough year for me, you guys. <laughs> BJ got armpit hair before every other guy. <laughs> See, as a woman, you're like, that doesn't apply to me. As a man, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We were like, we were all jealous. We are like, he had a little, his mustache looked terrible, but we were still jealous that he had one. He had a mustache and like a full, what do you even call it? Like a full head of armpit hair? Like a head of lettuce? What are, I don't know the proper term. It was just sticking, it's like walking by and just sticking out of his chest. And all the guys are like, that's amazing. All the girls were like, oh my God, that's disgusting. So boys just want to be men, newsflash. It never stops, it actually Starts from day one. Also in sixth grade, I got broken up with because I wouldn't kiss a girl because I didn't know what to do. I was like, I'm dating her because I'm attracted to her, but I don't really know about all that stuff. I'm just really doing it for my friends. Let's be honest. Then she broke up with me because I wouldn't kiss her. I was like, I don't even know how. So, okay. Sixth grade was a rough year for me. It's a bit of a joke, but the truth is, and the point is, we all have insecurities. We still deal with them to this day. And I think that's the point in Jesus being like, hey, what can you learn about yourself? One of the things you can learn is just like the Pharisees, there's something in us that likes to expose things in other people and point out their issues to feel better about yourself. We all have it. You may not live there, and some people live there more than others, but we all have it. And so I think this is just important. This is like Bible lesson 101 stuff that I think is really important and will really help you. And see, in verse 5 and 6, when they brought the woman in front of him and said, In the law of Moses, what we would do is stone her and kill her. This they said to test him to, to try and bring a charge against him. Can I tell you something else? It's a lot easier to hold God to a conditional law rather than an unconditional love. There's something in us apart from him, that wants to hold him to conditionality or conditions because we can understand it. It's like a formula or principle. A plus B equals C. If I sin and mess up, I can't be in the presence of God. See, it's a lot easier to believe you can't talk to God after you sin or mess up. It's a lot easier to believe you have to pay a price. It's much harder to believe he never leaves you or forsakes you and he paid the price. See, that was my question as a senior in high school. I'd mess up and do things that I knew I shouldn't do. And, and I wanted, because I was learning about God, I wanted to talk to him about it. But this voice inside my head that was not the voice of God said, you can't do that. You can't sin and then think God's going to be in your presence as if there's a scripture for that. Right? So I would mess up and be like, Lord, I want to talk to you about it, but I know I can't. I'll never forget the day being in my bedroom as a senior in high school, and the voice of God said, who told you that? And I was like, 
I don't know who's talking to me right now. Is that the Lord? He was just like, yeah, where is that in Scripture? Who told you you can't mess up? Did I not come for the ones who mess up? I'm like, oh my God, you're better than I thought. You're better than I was taught. It's like you're perfect. It's a lot easier to believe you can't talk to him after you sin or mess up. A lot easier to believe you have to pay a price. Much harder to believe he paid the ultimate price and he never leaves you or forsakes you. See, we have issues. We have insecurity. We have conditional love at best. I'm a conditional loving husband, a conditional loving father. I don't want to be, but if I admit it, I am. But he's not. He's perfect. He's absolutely perfect. So there's a few things you can learn about yourself. And now I want to transition and share a few things we can learn about Jesus. And the first one actually might surprise you just a bit. But I do believe this is the unconditional love of God that would do this. When we point the finger at others, Jesus points it back at us. See, there is so much scripture for when we judge that we are judged. It actually says when we judge others, God judges us. We're like, not the unconditional loving God, not perfect Jesus. Like, no, 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 trust me, he does it because he is. He actually does it because he wants to help you. Because a good father would do that. A good father would discipline his kids. A good father would point out the mistakes. Not to shame to encourage, to correct and encourage you to become better. That's what he does. Every single time it says, <clears throat> verse 7, when, G, when the Pharisees brought the woman before him, Jesus said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. The Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You know, the, the picture I have is Jesus is literally like a judgment mirror. It's like when we live in judgment, we, we, we try to point out things in other people, like the Pharisees, like what is it in us that likes to see other people's issues and tell other people about them so we feel better about ourselves? Jesus is like, stop. It's like when my kid tries to run around me, and I'm like, no, no, no. That's what he does. You're like, oh, man. Like, yeah, did you know about so? Yeah, but, oh, you... It's like we're pointing out all these things. Do you know the truth is it's hard to hear. I don't know the best way to say it. <clears throat> but if you're, if, you're living, if you're living in judgment and you think you're also living with God, you might be wrong. I'm not saying you're not saved and he doesn't love you and that he's leaving you. He, he never leaves us. But if you don't hear the voice of God correcting you, actually just in general, if you don't ever hear the voice of God correcting you, you're not listening. It's just true. He loves us so much. He loves us too much to leave us where we are. And judgment is such a big deal. Like I preached on that a couple months ago, whenever it was when I taught on prayer, because I just kept finding myself reading scripture after scripture after prayer, and the Lord uh, talking about forgiveness. And it's like, well, we know that if we live in unforgiveness, we have judgment. We have bitterness and offense. And it was like every time I'd read about prayer, he'd be like, yeah, you have to forgive. I'm like, I'm trying to learn about prayer. He's like, I'm trying to fix your heart so you can pray the right way. And so he does this with judgment. I think there's so many people that if <clears throat> it's so much easier to surround ourselves with people who tell us what we want to hear. 
But the God way is to surround yourself with people who tell you what you don't. You know, that's actually true friendship. Can we just begin to define it in a biblical way? Because people love, and we see this in church, and I'm not saying this to shame anybody, but it's evident in church as a, as a spiritual leader when you go on this journey. I'm far from perfect, but when you go on the journey of embracing it, and we have conversations all the time with our staff and our team because we're studying the Word and trying to grow, and we see all these other... We see other people surrounding themselves with people who just tell them what they want to hear and keep going on the same path. And it's like hurt and forgiveness and bitterness. And you're like, yeah, God actually wants you to deal with things and judgment. And so when we judge and we point the finger at others, he points it right back. He's like, yeah, bro, what about you? So you want to throw a stone? What have you done? <laughs> it's like pull out the plank in your own eye, right? There's a scripture. Fun? No? Okay. It's a truth, but I'll encourage you. This is a better point. There is a greater truth. What we expose and condemn, Jesus covers and defends. So when you think like he's a judgment mirror and he mirrors judgment in us, when we judge others, do you know who the accuser is? Satan. So, so that the spirit of the enemy that would want to motivate religious leaders to bring accusations and condemnation. Can I just say this? I feel like people are being healed today from religion. Like there's many of you that have grown up in church and you, you actually have. It doesn't give you the right to live in offense, but you've been abused by religious leaders. You've been manipulated. Some of it's your own family and friends, and, but, but God wants to deal with that today. He wants to bring healing. So the Pharisees would, would want to expose and condemn this woman caught in adultery. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. And he just runs over, kneels beside her. <laughs> Do you ever think about what he wrote in the sand? Man, I'm telling you, that is my number one question when I get to heaven. Jesus, what did you write? Because I know on certain days... Like with religious leaders, I would have drawn like a hand with a middle finger and been like. <laughs> what about you, bro? Oh my God, I told that to the young adults. I was like, I swear he's going to tell me that. Even if it's a lie, he's going to be like, Josh, you're right. I drew a hand with a middle finger. I'm like, yes. <laughs> but what did he write? Man, but the heart to just want to cover and defend and throw it right back. The judgment mirror. The accuser of the brethren is Satan. It's the devil. It's the enemy. And when he accuses, Jesus jumps in the middle. He covers and he defends. And he reflects the judgment right back on him. He covers and defends. You know, I remember being in Bible school. <clears throat> and you have to understand, like, I grew up in church. Had some rough patches. Didn't really live for God. Just kind of explored worldly desires and things like that and just wasn't committed to Christ so when God changed my life it was such a fast track that it was a matter of months where I was going to Bible school so you have to understand it was a couple months prior to Bible school where I'm like running out and partying and living the club life and that kind of thing and then I go into pastoral school at Christ for the Nations so I'm working through some stuff and, I'm, and I, would, I would be open. It's not like I was hiding it from people, but it's not like I was just going around telling everybody either because I'd be in school and people would be like, hey, pastor, hey, pastor. And I'd be like, 
Like, I've never pastored anything. And, and I was like, I didn't have very much confidence in that and, and was figuring out my identity. I was just going after Jesus with everything because that's all I knew how to do. And then, um, and then one day I remember being in worship and the director of pastoral school, he passed away a couple years ago, just really... He was an amazing man. <clears throat> Excuse me. But there was this time I was in worship, and I would just <clears throat> worship God with everything. And I, I didn't know what else to do. I'd dance. I'd jump up and down. felt like the Lord was like, well, if you acted like that in the world, you should do it in the church. I'm like, okay. And so <clears throat> I was just worshiping God and I was dealing, he was just constantly healing me, and he was doing things in my heart, and so I'm worshiping God, and it was one of those moments, I was probably crying, and he's just telling me things about me that I didn't believe, trying to convince me to believe him and how good he was, and the, the director, he came up to me, I've had this happen twice, one was on the basketball court, and my coach screamed and cussed at me, and grabbed me by the shirt, the other was in pastoral school at Christ for the Nation, he grabs me by the shirt, he just begins shaking me, and he's like, you're not who you think you are. He goes, you're not who the enemy says you are. You're not what your past says you are. And I'm like, oh. I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> like, who told you? But it just, it was the Lord literally using a man in my life to cover and defend me when the accuser was just accusing me of everything that I did wrong. The enemy just wants to do that over and over, bring up everything you did wrong. Everything you did wrong, everything you did wrong, and just bombard you with it. But God is raising up a different generation, a different culture that actually wants to stand in the gap and cover and defend our brothers and sisters, our sons and daughters. Do you know what? It's called grace. It's called Jesus. It's Jesus. He's the fullness of grace and truth. Truth is you have issues. Grace is he took them all. He's your defender. You can be like, that's outrageous. That's crazy to think that, that you could just be living in this place where you're covered and, and grace just covers it all. That's insane. How is that possible? Because Jesus died. Look, we, we've got to start living in the fullness of the sacrifice of the cross. People say all the time, like, how can you believe that? That's outrageous. That's sloppy agape. That's extreme grace. It was an extreme death. How could you believe that God could see you that way? How could you believe he looks at you and doesn't see sin? How could you take the cross for granted that much? It's a huge price. No, we do have to pay a price. We do have to confess our sins. You're right. Confess your sins one to another. He's faithful and just and will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You confess so that you know your righteousness because it wasn't your works, it was his. He paid the price. Because what we expose and condemn or what the enemy exposes and condemns, Jesus covers and defends. See, the story goes on and that's where we're going to land this morning. He comes, he draws the finger in the sand, just kidding, he draws something in the sand. <laughs> he points it back on them. I often, I've preached this before, I wonder if he didn't write their sins, actually. That's, that's what I wonder. That would be a good story. 
It's like he sits there and he's like, hmm, judgment. Or who knows, internal stuff that may be bigger or more relational or maybe some of them were committing the same sin. Like he just writes it on the sand. You good, bro? You good? <laughs> just writes their sin, whatever. But he, he puts it back on them. And then he's staying there. We just, we read that. <clears throat> the story goes on. They leave one by one, oldest to youngest. And then it says Jesus was left alone with the woman. And then the next thing he says is the whole point of this message. Whoops. Water, that would have been cool if it landed on the other way. <clears throat> the whole point of the message, he says, where one of the, the, the translation I like the most is two questions where he says, where are your accusers? She says, nowhere. And then he says, now who condemns you? She says, no one. He said, all right, now go and sin no more. So he deals with the voice in our head. He deals with the people who operate in that way. He deals with the enemy and his influence in our life because he is the accuser. So even if people accuse you and have accusations against you and condemn you, it is the heart of the enemy that would want to do that. And Jesus addresses it. Where are your accusers? Nowhere. Who condemns you? No one. Can I just tell you, I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning that your accusers are nowhere and that no one can condemn you when you're in Christ. No one can do it. But, but here's the whole key. It, it's like we, we have this approach. I have friends, different people, a lot of different people I've met with that are trying to work through issues and just take addiction, for example. I have this drug addiction. I have this addiction. And I'm trying to be free. And I'm trying not to sin as if that's the foundation that leads to freedom. Well, I'm trying not to. Yeah, the Apostle Paul said that too. And he wrote most of the gospel. He said, why do I do the thing I don't want to do and the thing I do, I struggle to do? I guess because he's admitting he makes it about works too. And that's why he preached grace. That's why the Lord had to give him the revelation of the true gospel that he paid the price for him, that he actually took his place, that he stood in the gap as a mirror but you know one of the best ways to say it? He's your defender. So everything the enemy throws at you, if you try to be free from addiction or free from sin in your life by simply thinking God's going to empower you, you're starting with step two. You have to know he took your place and he stood in the gap and he defends every accusation that's come against you. Because if you believe you're a sinner because, you're, because you sin, you don't know the defender. Well, that's hypocrisy. That's crazy. Oh, so your identity is defined by what you do? Or is it defined by what he did for you? Are you a Christian because you're awesome? Or are you a Christian because of Christ? Come on, it's the true gospel. We're like, all right, I got to be free. I got to work harder. I got to go to more meetings. If one encounter with God doesn't change everything, the gospel's not true. One encounter with the woman at the well. One encounter with the woman caught in adultery. One encounter over and over and over and over. You're like, well, how do you know they stopped doing it? I don't know that they actually stopped doing it. I just think they stopped believing it's who they were. That's outrageous. It's true. 
I'm no more a sinner because I sin than I'm a chef because I cook. I really can't cook that many things anyways. But it's not about what I do. My identity can never be in what I do. You're saved by grace through faith, both of which are from Jesus, by the way. Well, what do I do? Believe? What else do I do? Believe? But what after that? What do I do? Believe? Oh my gosh. It just takes this huge weight off. I could tell you stories I've shared with our staff even this week, but stories that would blow some of your minds, especially if you have a lot of religious foundation. Religion meaning non-relational, non-encounter-driven, personal, but, but form-driven. Well, there's people who I know, I would say they're living in sin. People I've met with, friends I have, that they would, they would even admit that there's probably something not right, but they're having a hard time addressing, um, just bear with me, they're having a hard time addressing things that I would define as sin, as sin, because they're so overwhelmingly hearing the, the voice of God through grace, where it's like he's, <laughs> he's coming to them and revealing his nature to them to get them to follow him before they fix their issues if that's not the gospel. Peter, James, and John fishing on the boat. Knows what all they did. Definitely Peter cussed. If nothing else, he cussed. He had anger issues. It cut people's ear off. <laughs> you know, the, the disciples had issues. You know that half of them were like teenagers. We read that and we're like, these amazing men of God. No, there were boys trying to figure it out. Actually, <laughs> they're young adults at best. Not all of them, but some of them were. They got issues. Have you ever met a teenager without an issue? Thank you. Point taken. But you're amazing, all of you. Never met an adult without one either, so just a funny point. But he shows up and he radically defends to the point where you can be living like, I, I know I shouldn't do this, but why are you just like covering me with your love and just sharing your nature to me that I want to follow you? I've had people telling me things that are blowing my mind lately that they want to walk away from lifestyles and things of years and years and years because Jesus is simply saying, follow me. Not fix, follow. He's just super good. But if you think that the, if, if you go to, <clears throat> if your relationship with God and wanting to live free from issues and sin in your life is founded on, on God just empowering you out of it, I don't think you'll ever be free. I think you have to understand he stood in the gap. He paid a huge price. He's a mirror to all your accusations, your judgment, and he defends you. He stands right in the middle. He's taken everything, everything negative that you have and everything negative that the enemy would throw against you. He defends you and he covers you. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing. Um, just thank you that <clears throat> for the challenge to not be religious, and if, if that's positive to some people, that's okay, but I mean religious in a negative way, in a way that it's about form and tradition and so focused on the letter and not the spirit. So Lord, we want both. We want your word in spirit and in truth. So Lord, we just thank you today for a revelation of grace that you're moving over hearts and minds, and we just want to give anyone the opportunity to connect with you now. So I just pray that you speak to each and every person and connect with their heart and draw them near to you where they have an encounter with you and they make a commitment in their heart to live for you in a way they never have before. So it's just in your name we pray, in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, 
Amen. Thank you. Can we just give the Lord a hand for what he's doing? Thank you all. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also, our app is available for download so that you can stay up to date. Again, we are so glad you joined us. If you're in the Midland Odessa area, we invite you to come be our guest at one of our services. Have a great day, and we hope to see you soon.